Welcome to A Table in the Corner, a podcast by me, Russell Wasserfall. As a writer, editor, photographer, and cookbook publisher, I've been working in the media space for over three decades. I've also run music venues and bars, owned a couple of restaurants, and eaten a lot of fabulous meals. Join me as I chat to the chefs, producers, and entrepreneurs who drive the food industry. Together, we'll dig deeper into our obsession with the business of eating. If you like the show, hitting follow really helps our numbers. You can also leave content ideas and comments on the Instagram page at a table in the corner. Welcome back to my conversation with Chef Frank Dalgiroux. Um, in the last episode, we spoke about the early beginnings and La Colombe and the 10 years of La Colombe that led to him moving on and opening the food barn in Nordhoek. Um, and in this episode, uh, we're going to talk about the food barn and Chef Frank's life after La Colombe. Thanks for agreeing to speak to me again, Chef Russell. It's a pleasure. So, in the last episode, we were kind of winding down La Colombe, and we were talking about we were talking about um, you opening the food barn because you wanted a place where you had a young family. You wanted a place where the the food was a bit more simple, a bit more down to earth. Um, and also, as you can hear by the horse neighing in the background, you wanted to slow life down and live a little bit more of a country existence. Absolutely. So, how did you come to find Nordhoek and find the venue for the food box? So, I I, I lived in Nordhoek uh, ever since um, uh, I, while I worked at La Colombe. I already lived in Nordhoek. Oh, because it's just a hop. A, yeah, old uh, and fifteen minutes, fifteen minutes. Okay. okay. So I, we, I always lived on this side. Even, even when I first arrived in South Africa, I lived in Hart Bay, right? And then I came to live in this side of the of, of Chapman's Peak. So I've, I've always lived near the Atlantic Ocean on, in that nook. Okay. A little bit in Komiki in the early days, but then we bought this place in Nordo. We built this place. We built this house, and I've always lived here. So, so Nordook, they. There used to be that, or well, there is that little village in the in in down in Nuruk proper, exactly. the, the farm village. Back then, there was actually none of that. There was just the farm stall. Ah, okay. The the old Cape farm stall. It opened in two thousand and three, I think. So um, the village farm stall was there, and I love that farm stall. Kim, the lady doing it, was doing. She was doing fantastic because she had a good baker. Actually, Kenneth would have probably told you that one of one of his bakers uh, went on to work with. That lady the, from Olympia, Olympia. Yeah. Okay. So she had a really good baker. Okay. But the rest was really sympathy. She was making toasted sandwiches and you could buy fresh fresh veg. And so I used to go down there to get my croissant and my bread and some veg and some milk. And, and I just loved that center and I yeah. loved that village and I loved that building, that farm store. So when I this when the time came that I was winding down and and so Pete my friend was uh, in the corporate world, also had quite miserable in his life at this mm -hmm. stage. The cycle was a bad one. And my La Colombe cycle was coming to an end. We hooked up and together we bought the farm stall in Nordok. And that's how the food barn was born. And also Pete, also Pete and Kim had also a young family like Sam and I. So we were kind of in the same place in our lives. We created the food barn together. And initially, we we kept it for the first year as what it was. We kept it um, uh, as a, a section of it was still a farm stall. The other half was a restaurant. Yeah. Uh, we did breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And very quickly, 
it became the building itself became too small. It's too tight, right? For a shop, for a restaurant, and also I, I, the other problem is that I was me, and I was coming from La Colombe, and nobody could understand. Like, what the fuck is Frank doing making sandwiches in Nodok? Yeah. People couldn't understand. Couldn't understand. Okay. Like people got, they got angry. They came, they arrived, and they they sat at a table with plastic t- tablecloth, and it's just like they walked off. Yeah, because they, they could not understand. Because they thought they were coming to get the next generation of La Colombe, <laughs> and they were getting a toasted cheese and tomato. Yeah, <laughs> which was not even that great. Possibly. <laughs> but it, you know, it came to pass. Obviously, we had one season, and we were very busy. A lot of people were not understanding what we were doing. Yeah, and then gradually we found our. We found our place. Yeah. It, we became able to gradually change because the other thing, when you when you buy something in a community like that and you start doing changes, people get cross with you. Absolutely. People, you think the food barn belongs to me? No, it belongs to the community. You know, for me, it's always about you got to have, you. It, it's, so, it's so hard to have a restaurant. It's so hard. It's so hard. This, this career is so hard yes. that that until you have managed to build your team and you have fun with your team, yeah, no magic happens. No. And that's it. You can only start creating magic when you have a team and when you have fun with them. Yes. And that, in, that includes the front of us, everybody. You, you have to party with those people. There needs to be that camaraderie. Otherwise, there's no restaurant. Yeah. Even today, you look at all the best restaurants anywhere. There is, there is that, there is, there is, there is a cement that keeps the team together, it's and it's just, it's, it's so necessary. So it takes, it takes a while to create this. Yeah. Um, and uh, but once you got it and you start having fun, then then it then it becomes magic, and then you and then you and then the next thing is you work and you work too hard, so your family gets crossed with you yeah, because. Yeah. You completely immerse into that thing, and it creates so much energy that yeah. you like you like rolling on it. Yeah, but now we slowly managing to find the balance. You are still, even though you've been in the game and cooking since what the, you, you were apprentice at what fourteen, yeah. and you, you're still posting on your Instagram the new dishes you're creating. What yeah. drives you to still be creative and try to do new things? Uh, well, it goes back to what I told you in the first episode. It's my my drive is my passion for eating. So whether it's a beautiful ripe tomato still warm from the sun that you eat with salt and olive oil, or uh, or a beautiful piece of fish, or or something more intricate that uh, a memory from a travel. Uh, for, from 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 flavor from somewhere else, whether it was in Japan or Sri Lanka, where or a pairing. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I've been doing. I mean, I, I drink a lot of wine. I don't drink excessively, excessively, but I drink a lot of wine. I drink a glass of wine every day, maybe two. Okay. I love drinking good wine. I, do, I love drinking the the new wines that my friends winemaker come up with and excited about. We were talking earlier about the Addis and the Chris's. And all those new guns from the Swatland and everything. I love pairing wine with food. So yeah. I, I've been doing a lot of that. But not recently. That's been going on for the last six years at the Food Barn. But people come to me uh, with their wine. And they say, please, can we pair this? What do you think I should serve this with? So for me, the, the, it's a big it's a big drive uh, uh, 
pairing food with wine. And often I do it the other way around. So if you, a sommelier would, would look at what you eat and it will say, hmm, this will work with this wine. With this, yes. So I do it the other way around for the, for the wine people. So are you saying you taste the a wine, wine and then you create a dish with? Yes. And I've been doing that now for six years. So people in the wine industry come to me and we look at their wines and we taste the wine and we, the menu for their event, for, for their event is based on the wine, not on my food. It's the wine that dictates the menu. And a lot of my creativity nowadays is stemmed from that collab that we have with these people. It started with Duncan Savage when he was the winemaker at Cape Point. You know, so Duncan is a really good friend. So always we would hook up and he said, what do you think from this and that? And then, and then it carried on with Matthew Day at Klein Constantia on the other side of the mountain. And then that ends Rami Fikeda at JD at Steenberg, this and that. So for, for me... And coming to think of it, it makes so much more sense, actually, to do it that way. It, uh, you, you start with a wine. The, if you've got to be a pairing, that thought is a revelation for me because I hadn't <laughs> thought, but of course that should be. And if, if you're an accomplished chef, why wouldn't you do it that way? Well, apparently not everybody can do it. Mm. So I think it's, I'm just lucky that I've got that. I don't know what it, I'm not sure what it is. Well, I think it starts with a palate. Yeah, no, no, for sure. I mean, yeah. and, and, and also I really, I really enjoy it. I love, I love good wine. I love the taste of food. But I mean, I really, it's quite bizarre. I, I, I would smell and taste a wine. Things fall in, into place, kind of like, and I get it. I get, yeah, yeah. I get what it, whatever it is, you know, if it's a Chenin and it's got that kind of profile and then immediately I would get, uh, uh, I don't know, lemongrass with, uh, with palm sugar and a bit of pineapple and something fishy and then boom it's there and then i think about it some more and then there's a pairing so flowing from that how should people eat from your menu how do you like people to enjoy the menu i want people to do what they want i spent so much so many years of my life getting cross with thinking how people should eat and actually i've got no right you, 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 as a person, you know what you feel like. If you feel like a steak and chips, that's what you feel like. Yeah. And if you want your steak to be medium to well, it's also your prerogative. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, it's, it's, my, it's not my choice, but who am I to say you can't have that? So actually, you eat, I want people to eat exactly how they want. Right. And that's why we've got a range of menus, actually. We've got the bistronomy menu, which is, traditionally a starter main dessert and each course is paired with a wine from a pairing that I've done in the past so the the, the pairing happened based on the wine not based on the so it happened exactly so we go back to this so the pairings on the menu and the tapas menu are all based on pairings that we created from the wine and so that's what feeds the menu constantly those moments with the winemakers and those creations that feeds the menu yeah. often they a bit toned down because the wine for the winemakers are a bit more intricate and then people do what they want you know you can come to the food barn and have there's even a little um uh, all day menu where we do uh, some some toasted paninis or i mean like some goat cheese and our salad some simple stuff how does that work because also we spoke in the first episode about season how you love season and everything, it's all systems go and your team's ready and they're firing and it's fantastic. But there's a very definite winter in Cape Town. And I know that you've become quite sort of 
well known among locals for excellent winter menus and winter, you know, good value and winter. How do you navigate that 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 cutoff between season and the the winter, the, the not season? So we used to have such a we used to have a massive winter drive. That was before COVID. Because of COVID, we had we'd done some changes in the food barn. So the deli used to be a coffee shop as well right. before COVID. Yeah. But after COVID, we had to we had to close the coffee shop because we had to close all the restaurants. So we kept the shop open without the tables and chairs, and the shop grew enormously during COVID. And it was actually a blessing, this, because this space was always meant to be a big shop. So the bakery grew, the cake kitchen grew, we offer now vegetables, we have more wine, more everything. So the, the deni itself is a beautiful food store. And the food barn has become, has absorbed the breakfast, the all-day aspect, two restaurants in one, essentially, okay. upon reopening after COVID. And that change has made it so that in winter, there's no problem there's, anymore. Okay. Because there's so much more on offer. You can come from, for a breakfast from 8 o'clock. So the place is always humming somehow. It's very interesting that, I, and now that you've mentioned the deli, I want to talk about the deli. So that's in my notes as well. But it was always my feeling that for restaurants in Cape Town to offer winter specials almost taught people that there was a percentage that was just added and restaurants because there's always that thing oh a ripoff but in fact it was survival and locals were always like oh well if they can charge these prices in winter then why can't they charge those prices in season and why do they rip off the locals and it isn't like that but I felt that it was a weakness in how restaurants marketed themselves to offer those winter specials. But you're saying that if you get your mix right yeah. in terms of what you're doing and how you run the business, you don't have to do yeah. that. I, I didn't think of it. But it, it just happened to us. Okay. Uh, I, can't, I can't actually take the credit for having, <laughs> that, having that brain fire. Brain fire. <laughs> uh, it just really, it's, it, was a, it was a good discovery. We, it just realized that... Uh, the bistronomy price remains the same in winter. Yeah, people will choose to have it or not. Yeah. But, you know. Well, there's that thing that I, at at some stage there was one of those Facebook groups. I always used to your people moan about, oh, it's a rip off, and how can people charge these prices? I said, well, it's a willing seller, willing buyer. Look yeah. at the menu. If if it's too much for you and you can't afford it, move on. That's yeah. you know because the thing is that that no restaurant is deliberately setting out to overcharge. Yeah, no, it's so uh, it's but uh, and there is um. It's so it's there's it's difficult for people. Customers are difficult sometimes. People are very uh, they want bang for their buck yeah. instantly, yeah, exactly. always. Yeah, you know, without realizing the the amount of the the the, the brutality of the industry, yeah. how hard it is. Yeah, and also how small the margins are. Unbelievably small. Exact margins are tiny, tiny. But there's this thing that I referred someone the other day to the ongoing, there's this kind of war happening um, between consumers and restaurateurs over chicken palm in Australia because chicken palm prices have gone up post-COVID and they now range between, and, and, and that's kind of a stand, it's almost like the the McDonald's burger guide mm. through the economy. Yeah. So chicken palm, the prices were like, pre-COVID were like 15 to Twenty dollars, and now they're sitting at twenty-five, and some people are heading towards thirty. But many of the restaurateurs you speak to, if they 
correctly cost chicken palm, which is effectively sh- chicken schnitzel and chicken, if they correctly cost it, it should be $36 to $40. Yeah. But they, because it is a standard stock item yeah. for the Australian diner, yeah, yeah. they hold the price yeah. down around the 20 to 25 mark in order to get the feed through. Yeah. People just don't, they don't get that no one is trying to overprice a restaurant to drive customers away. Yeah. away. Yeah. The complexity, it's about creating a space where people want to be. I mean, the food must be good, the service must be good, but ultimately, what makes our, our village magic? Yes. What makes the food barn magic is we are in that village, and that alone already is quite is quite special. And yeah, we. Well, I'm not sure how it all happened. I think it's a combination of we, a bit of luck, the right the right mix of people mm. starting the businesses at the right time, being like we all, you know, the 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 Paul and Lindy Rue who started Cafe Rue, yes. Pete and myself, yeah. we were all in the in that in that mix together at the beginning, and we we just we created that village late last year i was in the delhi and it's just amazing and it's i like, it's like a toy store it's 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 a bit of a problem because you can't walk in there it's and a, walk out empty-handed it's a problem but also the quality of some of the things that are made on site like i bought portuguese rolls the best i've ever eaten and, 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 and i'm not i'm not saying that just because we're looking at each other and you're taller than me, but <laughs> but and the the diversity of product, and also you've got that little organic veg store that's off there. Mm. It, is that part of the deli, or is it an independent? So that that is another happy COVID uh, uh, adventure. Is we 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 had the space because it, it, this used to be part of the tapas offering that that section. There we that go. was front of us. Yeah, and when COVID happened, we closed it. But um, the, the people from Metro Organic are friends friends of ours. They also they, the farm is in Nodok. We I've always bought vegetables from them for the yeah. restaurants, and we kind of got together during COVID, and because they were also trying to survive. Yeah, and I said, "Come guys, come and sell your vegetables in my deli, because we are we we can then offer veg bread. So you know we can Everything we can there. feed we can." Feed people and that's kind of like how it started so i just sublet them a little section and then they do veg well yeah and uh it's beautifully it's presented a wonderful yeah. addition to our to our to our shop over time you must have developed great relationships with your suppliers are, are, are you are you kind of getting in produce for the restaurant and for the deli as locally as possible how, right. how, how do you how get, do you we, work that out so as much as possible, um, there is unfortunately not nothing. Nothing really big is being grown around here. No. Uh, the land is very expensive, so you know there's only a couple of farms left. But Metro is one of them, and then a lot of people have got micro culture in 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 their property. Properties are big, yeah. So a lot of people actually dedicate a section of their garden to growing things. Okay. So I buy all the micros, a lot of the salads we buy locally. Okay. Completely from Nodook. Uh, there we get some, a lot of the citrus comes from Nodook, some blueberries, some tomatoes. So we, we buy as much as we can from here. From here, yeah. Um, we normally do barter as well. We yeah. do a lot of bartering. It's quite cool. Um, but that's it. You know, there's no, nobody, nobody breeds anything here. Uh, yeah, no. It's a pity, but it's, it's, a bit, yeah. it's understandable. Yeah. 
Well, there, there isn't the availability of the land, and it's quite harsh being right on the Atlantic like this, but that's good for you because you can go surfing. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> You've seen a lot of restaurants come and go. You've seen the growth of the restaurant scene in Cape Town, and you were kind of there at the beginning. Do you look at other operators and say, oh, that's a great idea, or who do you think at the moment is really kind of killing it and doing amazing things in the city, or in Cape Town generally? Oh, for my God, there's so many. There's, there's actually a lot of exciting restaurants. The, all the youngsters that used to work with us have all blossomed into amazing chefs. Who's killing it right now? And this is the question. For me, if I stay local, if I stay in Nordok, yes, I love going to Edgar Project, the brewery down there. Right. Here, Rory yeah. is a master brewer. He makes incredible beer. And it's got a good team in the kitchen. The yeah. food is super fun. Yeah. Really delicious. Right next to it, there's an Italian restaurant called Limoncello, where Luca, a good friend of mine, also a surfer and a fisherman. Because Luca had Limoncello in town, in town, and I used to go there often because yeah. we lived in an observatory. Yeah. And then he left there, to, his lease came up or something, and he went and did the food trucks. Yeah. Now he's back in Nurtuk. Yeah. He's fantastic. Okay, so he's a great guy. He's yeah. a good friend, and I love his I love his pizza, and I, I love he makes good pasta. I mean, it's a great Italian right. restaurant. Yeah. So locally we're spoiled, and uh, if I go to town, I'll go to uh, La Taqueria, which is a small El Burro. Yes, not the big. I mean, I love El Burro, but I love Taqueria. I love the plastic plates and the soft tacos. That's Nikarov. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah, absolutely love that. Yeah, and um, fine dining. If I go, I will. I think. I think uh, Ivor. Yes, Ivor's. Ivor Jones is killing it. Bo Constantia. Yeah, Ivor is killing it. He's And I think Jason Cosmas. Jason at Potluck Club. Jason. These are for me the two guys that are killing it. Yeah, but there's a lot of youngsters. Faro. Yes, in Gabriel's Kloof. Um, so there's a lot of exciting stuff. But um, the thing is that, that because so many exciting things are happening, more exciting things happen because people go, oh, that gives me an idea. For, and so, so it's only through the growth of new restaurants that new restaurants will emerge. Always, always. And also it generates excitement and it generates inspiration. It's very interesting that you say that, that you're not that into the fine dining anymore because that's absolutely the attitude and in fact why we opened the table at Demay was almost a reaction against the fine diners what what's going on with fine dining fine dining will never die it, it's a, it's a, for me i feel it's a cycle i've done it i've done it for 15 years yeah. i've done it i've loved it it nearly killed me <laughs> and i think this happens to many other shit yeah so it's almost like a muscle you need to flex yes and then you flex it, and then it becomes cramped or tired, yeah. or or it's it's a psychic thing. It's it's an ego driven industry. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, yeah. It's only with age when you get a bit older and you get some perspective that you realize that ego is actually the big enemy of everything. So, but I mean, you can't explain this to somebody who's twenty years old, full of full, with a belly full of fire. You can't. No, no. And they you, want to do their thing. Will not. I would not have heard. It. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not going to try and tell them. I'll, I'll, I'll. If somebody asks me for the advice, I will give them the advice. But I'm not going to say. So that's why I think it will never die. The cycle will always perpetuate. Yes, it okay. goes together with testosterone and ego and need to 
express. So it's it's kind of wonderful. So and and what perhaps something that Jason Cosmas said when I interviewed him was that in the post-COVID world, the fine diners, the youngsters that are coming out, they're doing much more focused small meat. So maybe that's the place of the fine diner is instead of having these big, expensive, long tasting menus, the thing is like what um, the restaurant that was opened by the people from Belly of the Beast, Khalyun. Oh, Khalyun, yeah. Khalyun, what they're doing, you know, where it's a very focused, this is what it is, and it's small and it's easy to get out and the small team's producing yeah, it. You don't yeah. need a brigade of 15 or 20 yeah. in the kitchen. Yeah. Fine dining will never die. It will evolve. So it, it, will, it evolve. will evolve into different... Yeah. It might just be very, very focused around uh, uh, certain ingredients. I mean, it is already. If yeah. some are plant based, some are just seafood, some are just uh, meat or, or animal protein driven. Yeah. So it kind of like morphs into all these different various. It will, it will remain. It will remain. And and, but what will also remain is the need that we have as humans to get around the table and share good food and memories and a lot. And the conviviality that there is around such a table does not really exist in the high fine dining world. Never. Which is why there's a place for both. Yeah. I just, I am in that world now. I'm in the easy, in the easier world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. I think it's time to close this off. You've been extremely generous with your time, Chef, and I really appreciate it. It's been a wonderful chat and yeah, lots of insights. So, Come and go, I'll have a glass of wine with you. We can get a fairing going together. There we go. We could do that. Although my wife's the one with the palate, so so we'll have to drag in control. Thank you to my guest today and to all the creators, innovators, and sloggers who take the time to chat to me at a table in the corner. Thank you for listening. And if you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a comment. Until we meet again, please consider what you eat and where it comes from. Most of all, support small business. Consume sustainably and wherever possible. Bye, local.